Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors. Saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Coming up on this episode of White Wine Question Time. And he was coach driver. And I, I mean, he would be like doing up our kitchen or something as when I was a kid, he'd be sort of redecorating. And I'd say to him like, dad, have you thought about putting in a breakfast nook? And my dad would say something like, have you thought about getting your own fucking house? So <laughs> it was sort of, you know, kind of, he'd been blessed with a camp child. What can I say? <laughs> it took me a long time um, to have other queer friends really I think when I was growing up they weren't it, literally I did feel like the only gay growing up you sort of go you, I'd meet people and I'd do like youth theatre things or and I'd be like oh I bet they're all everyone will be gay here and I'll finally be at home and no no one was gay and so <laughs> rather than um, stand up to the bullies was I um, there was a school cabaret and I decided to do Judy Walter's monologue uh, from Alan Bennett's Talking Heads which <laughs> the listeners know it where the character has found herself in um, a porn film without without realising um, so oh again Hello and welcome to White Wine Question Time, the podcast that asks its guests three thought-provoking questions over three glasses of wine. And my guest this week is an award-winning comedian who at 40 is finally edging ever closer to becoming the 46-year-old man he believes he's been trapped inside ever since he was a child. Critics have described him as one of our best comedy talents, whilst he describes himself as a peculiar, eccentric, sometimes very emotional, Patricia Routledge-obsessed loner who grew up speaking like a 
a cast member of Downton Abbey and dressed like some kind of millionaire yacht owner, all despite being raised by very working-class parents in Bromley, in Kent. He's also, rather excitingly, Gloria Hunford's cousin, something he discovered recently when he took part in ITV's DNA journey. As well as his work as a stand-up, he also hosts The Apprentice You're Fired, co-hosts The Great British Bake Off and Extra Slice alongside Joe Brand, and is a regular on Celebrity Gogglebox, having found almost instant success on the comedy circuit after winning the BBC's new Comedy Award when he was just 22. But read either of his two books, both memoirs and both brilliant, and what you find is a man who writes with great depth, despite penning himself at times as being as shallow as a puddle, with a mix of witty self-deprecation that straddles, well, self-flagellation, all of which makes him as compelling on the page as he is on the stage, which is kind of where he's always wanted to be. In fact, his very earliest memory is of getting deliberately lost in the supermarket so he could hear his name being called out on a public address system. So let's give him what he wants, shall we, and dial him up. Tom Allen. How are you? <laughs> Kate, what a lovely introduction. I think no one's ever summed me up so well. Um, I, I appreciate that. Um, I'm very well today. I'm a little bit cold because we've got the cold weather and I've been trying, I've been wrestling with my thermostat because I do not understand it because it's a very modern one. But um, I, I, I just like, I don't know why it doesn't have levers and dials and I prefer things when they're a bit more analogue. We're having a cold snap, Tom, aren't we? I mean, we're, we're having a cold snap? We're having a cold snap. The, the garden is still hard and we're speaking at 10.20. I know, exactly. And so I haven't planted my bulbs yet, so I don't think they're going to go in this year. No, that's it. That's done. Although... It's given. To, it's given to brighten up. God, we sound like we sound like old people. This is my. This is my world. Welcome. Um, I've always. <laughs> you mentioned I used to think I was forty six years old, but now I'm sort of approaching forty six. I think I'm. I've been moving ahead. I think I'm about eighty six now. So I just want to sit down <laughs> quietly in a chair. Do you feel like you're finally coming into your own, growing into the body that you've occupied forever mentally? Yeah, I. Yeah, I like it. I like the fact. That I like being in my forties now because you don't have to apologise if you go. Oh, do you know what? No, I don't want to do that. Do you want to come to this party? No. no. Um, it's quite nice when you're in your 40s and you can just sit around quietly, watching Miss Marple maybe, and, um, and yeah, thinking about the garden, thinking about something you might need to do, maybe um, bleeding radiators, that kind of thing. Suits me fine. You love it, don't you? Are you a big fan mm. of interiors, which is odd for a man that was almost 40 by the time he owned his first home? Um, I, yeah, I lived at my parents' house for a long time. Uh, and then I've moved to round the corner from them. And I am, I am obsessed with interiors. When I moved into the house, it's, it's, you can see it around me now. It's very grey, um, but I'm trying to put more colour into it. So I'm, I'm getting more ambitious and trying to make it seem... I'm not from a posh background at all. My dad was a coach driver. Um, but uh, I've got aspirations of making it seem like a stately home, which is borders on um, tacky. tacky. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. Is it? <laughs> please tell me you're not going to stuff it with things like fountains that light up and you know, oh, fake pillars. Give me, give me half a chance, and I will. <laughs> well, I've already got an urn in the garden. Just as we were getting ready, I showed you, Kate, didn't you I? Did. The the, guard, the back garden. I bought an urn for the garden, and I didn't realise how big it was. I bought it online, which apparently is the way to do things. Um, and it is about two meters tall, and therefore makes my not that big garden look like a well, look like a sort of Parisian cemetery. <laughs> 
I like that rather than just a cemetery, you, you inserted Parisian. That's nice. Oh, yeah. Still fabulous. Yeah, still fabulous. But um, but very, very maudlin, to use your word. <laughs> it's sort of got a, a grandiosity about it, which really only suits the deceased. <laughs> Listen, you say you're not from a fancy family, but recent discoveries would prove, well, that if not fancy, fascinating. Gloria, Gloria Hunniford's cousin, shut up. Well, I can't believe that. I couldn't believe it at the time. And I don't want anyone to think I'm some sort of nepo baby. I've had no, <laughs> it's only in my recent life that I've had this connection established. In fact, I need to work out, she's about, she's about fifth cousin, I think, um, in Ireland. My my mum's family are all Irish. So um, they, yeah, it must, it's along those lines. But I think, I thought, I assumed it was across my grandfather's side, because he's from Northern Ireland and like her, but I think it might be my grandmother who's from Mayo in the South. Um, How excited were you when you discovered mm. that? I mean, you know, these programs, other people like Danny Dyer was related to Richard III and <laughs> Josh Widdicombe was a Plantagenet or something. And I thought how absolutely typical that it would be that I'm related to one of the hosts of Rip Off Britain. And, um, <laughs> and, and I think one, at one point Pebble Mill, I think she was once on Pebble Mill, Gloria. She, but Gloria's story is really quite something, actually. I did her life story for Radio 2 many years ago. Oh, did you, Kate? Yeah. And you know what? You wouldn't, she is a late starter. So she was roughly the age you are now when she became well-known. And prior to that, she was a, a, a housewife who did a bit of like, she did Tupperware parties on the side. She was kind of a pillar of the oh. community. And she, she literally hustled her way into broadcasting, became the face of Ulster um, television. She did like the, the equivalent of what would be the one show. And then when, when Opportunity knocked and she came to London, she passed the show to a young Eamon Holmes, and she came and st- and she was the first woman on Radio 2. And she is the reason why there are women's toilets at Radio 2. Because until she arrived, there was no need. Isn't that extraordinary? I didn't know that. I didn't know about Radio 2 having so few female presenters on it. That's, that's ridiculous, none. isn't it? <laughs> yeah, so few. There were none. Yeah, because the thought was back in the day that women didn't want to hear, women who were the audience at home uh, wouldn't want to hear other women's voices. They would want the comfort of a male's voice whilst they missed their husbands. Oh, my God. Isn't that extraordinary? And that's actually in our lifetime, right? That's in living I was going to say, that, that doesn't sound like that's that long ago, because when I think Gloria moved over here in the 80s, was it? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, oh, wow. Yeah. Isn't that, I mean, yeah, that's not that long ago at all. You need to get together with Gloria and and ask her all these questions because honestly, she is super fascinating. She is wonderful, isn't she? Mm, and also, her. when she came, yes. So on the DNA show, she is, was presented as a surprise. Who's it going to be? And then she walked in. But the thing about her is, she's such a um, she, she's she's such a uh, an old school broadcaster. As soon as she walked in front of the camera, she just started presenting the program yeah. and started interviewing me. <laughs> this isn't. This isn't that's what she does. So, I went yeah, looking to, for an auto cue with some links on it. Yeah, I went to number ten with her one one year. Oh. I know, which is really fancy, right? And she invited yeah. me. It was all to do with the Karen Keating um, oh, okay. trust that she runs. So, in memory of her daughter, yes. who I was lucky enough to know and work with, and Gloria is just remarkable. But even when we arrived at number ten with the Prime Minister and his wife, she was still running the show. Like she had it all. <laughs> yeah, I mean, she. And she was like, so Kate wants to go and have a look at the wall cabinet. That, is that okay? Is that okay? If she goes, <laughs> room, she's like, okay, if you go, you go, and then I'll be back here. I mean, literally coordinating it 
all brilliantly. She's she's quite oh, something. She's she's fabulous, isn't she? And actually, she would be good at running, probably running the world. Actually, she's um, she doesn't take any nonsense, that's for sure. And she'd get you a good price on things. Oh yeah, no consumer issues with that. (laughs) No, yeah, the post office situation would be would have been resolved straight away. Wouldn't it? Can you imagine she'd been in Mr. Bates's shoes? (laughs) The post office. Her and Angela. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. I can. I can. I can literally smell an ITV3 drama. Can't you? The Gloria Hunnaford stories. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I would love that. So would I. Oh yeah. An anthology series, the Gloria Hannaford stories, just different different moments, yeah. Yeah, totally. Oh, lovely. So you've got lovely. Uh, you've got new relations. You've also got a relatively new relationship as well. You and Elfie. Not only are you relatively newly uh, together, um, but you're living together as well, Tom. I mean, in the yes, yeah, so we're, we're basically living together, and um, it's, in yeah, sin. it's lovely. <laughs> in sin, in sin, uh, as people are constantly shouting at us, um, and. Um, <laughs> And yeah, it's very nice. It's nice to, um, yeah, to kind of be, well, since moving into this house, when I first moved in, I was on my own and I found it quite odd to be, because I'd lived at my parents for so long. When you say so long, Tom, you were 37, weren't you, when you moved out? Um, yes, I moved back home when I was about 30. So yeah. I'd had about, it was when I moved out just at the sort of end of the pandemic. It was in, a, it was in April of, what was that, 2021, I think. Mm. Yeah, so. I was about yeah, just coming up to thirty eight, and um, and and it was kind of yeah, sort of strange to suddenly have my own place, especially after that weird time of the pandemic, which I don't, you know, no one really talks about the kind of fallout of that time, and when we were all sort of in this strange mental space, and then suddenly like oh, I've, I'm in my own place, which I've saved up for for so long, um, just for the deposit. I still have a mortgage, I hasten to add, <laughs> um, but um, but and and then having Alfie has been very nice. Um, sort of makes it complete, really. So it's been, yeah, lovely, very nice. And he's quite good at emptying the dishwasher, does the ironing. It's very, we're very domesticated. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's nice. Because it's kind of your first serious long-term boyfriend, am mm. I right? Yes, absolutely, yeah. Um, it was almost like I was too weird for anybody before then. Not true, and... surely. Just too fabulous, well, sorry. Too fabulous, yes, that's what it was. <laughs> <laughs> too weird. Um, and, now, and I, um, I, I quite liked, but I quite liked being on my own as well. Like when I was single, I sort of, I kind of um, reveled in it in a way. I was like, yes, confirmed bachelor that I am. And, um, and that's... <laughs> you sound like Cliff Richard. <laughs> yeah, I did something, I've always kind of liked the idea of something quite old fashioned. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, um, and so it's kind of a surprise really when... Uh, yeah, got together with Alf. So it's been nice. It's been lovely, really lovely. How did you meet? Well, we we met essentially um, doing a, a sort of a TV run through, actually. So it's television that brought us together. And um, and he was starting out and I was starting out. And uh, it turned out we live in the same we live in the same area, from the same area of Bromley, a small part of it. And um, and so we, yeah, we, we were sort of neighbours, really. It was kind of like without realising. So he's and always then, been there? He's all, he was just round the corner all along. Wow. So, isn't that, isn't that, so not the boy next door, but the boy round the corner. The That's boy nice. round the bend. Yeah. And how long had you known of each other? Um, so that was about, that was, um, when was that, 2016, I think? Oh, um, wow. And then, and so we, yeah, we've been friends and then um, we've got together properly sort of in the summer of twenty. 22 is it no what year are we in i don't know what year 2021 don't end you find of 2021 the, the pandemic has completely screwed your ability to recall years 
absolutely. I'm just suddenly going. I, is this twenty twenty? Yeah. I still sort of think it's twenty nineteen, really. So do I. And you know, you're so right. You just said something that is so personal, which is we never talk about the pandemic. It's a bit like don't talk about the war. And I understand why people didn't want to talk about the war because it was it was a, it must have surely been an, you know the most horrific experience to live through, and for seven years. But none of us sit and talk about this extraordinary two years. We don't get anywhere about yeah. it, or we don't, I don't know. I don't know. It's just odd, isn't it? The human condition is very strange. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. I think um, it was so overwhelming, particularly mm. at the beginning, when we really didn't know anything about it. And we're like, well, is everybody going to die? Is that how, and I, yeah. that I mean, sort of part of me was thinking that. I mean, <laughs> sounds bleak. But... Yeah, I remember the very beginning of the pandemic, very beginning, when it, you know, I remember having to learn how to do podcasting from home and being sent an engineer to the house yes. just, just in yes. case just in case just in case yeah and we you know yeah. i listen back to some of the old episodes of the podcast and i do like this disclaimer at the top going just to let you know this episode <laughs> was recorded on the phone <laughs> like it's revolutionary <laughs> because, well it was it was yeah. yeah it was like and we were all i remember the last yeah yeah and and then two weeks before we went into lockdown, I was told to isolate because I'd gone on, I was doing a show at Radio 5 and they had an Australian oh. band in and the lead singer had got coronavirus and oh. was, was had been hospitalised in Australia. Oh, so I was told to stay home. So the day that I was supposed to come out of my self-imposed isolation, the whole world went into lockdown and that was it. And I was like, blimey, oh, it's probably going to be four weeks till I'm out now. And they were, yeah, and that's three. what they were saying was like, they were saying, like, if we stay at home, do you remember they were like, we can squash the peak of the of the yeah. numbers. So we just stay home for a few, three weeks, I think it was going to be, wasn't it? turns out they didn't have a fucking clue what they were talking about. Who knew? Absolutely no. None. <laughs> yeah, absolutely none. And, um, I mean, we just all sort of got on with it, strangely. I mean, I suppose that's impressive, really, but... Isn't um, it? Uh, but also very shocking that uh, we all very obediently, for the most part, did as we were told. I don't know that we would do that again. I Yeah, I wonder now. Because back then we were just sort of like, yes, you've got to stay in, stay home, yeah. stop the spread, wash yeah. your hands. Um, and Sing happy birthday. Um, I mean, do you remember Sing happy that? birthday when you wash your hands, yeah. Bang a saucepan every Thursday at eight. Bang a saucepan. Some of my mum and dad's neighbours would be out at sort of five, two, and I'd be like, it's not time. Yes. And a bit like Zola Bud, since the pandemic, I've never stopped walking. You know, prior to that, I'd never have considered going for a walk. But now it's religion for me. I walk every day. Oh, you, that's very good. Have you held good. on to anything from the pandemic? Um, I try to hold on to the fact that I did yoga with Adrienne every day um, during the pandemic. I would do like a sort of 10-minute yoga stretch, which was very good for the yeah. for the brain. Um, but um, I haven't managed to completely sustain that. But I, I, I like the idea that I might have done. There's a yogi in there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. In my mind. I'm Namaste. Very, I'm Jane. <laughs> Namaste. In my mind, I'm Jane Fonda doing a workout. But... Um, <laughs> In reality, I'm not. That's my ambition to to live my my dotage like Jane Fonda in one of those millionaire sort of um, retirement communities where apparently, check this out, there is a staggering across the U the US there is a, there is a huge spike in the number of STIs amongst pensioners oh, all at yes. it in these communities. They're all just shagging. Extraordinary, Amazing. isn't it? Extraordinary. Good what a life! Them. What a life! What a way to go. What yeah. a way to go. <laughs> That's my future plan anyway, Tom. Back 
to the show. It's good to it's good to have a it's good to have a retirement plan. It's good to dream. Now, if you can retire early, people are like, we know why. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, I've tried to devise three, um, I hope, thought provoking questions, but actually. You're a man that made me think because I've been listening to both of your memoirs on um, Audible because I really think that there was so much uh, to be gained from the phrasing and the delivery of of your your words. Um, So I wanted to tap into the theme of the last book, which was too much. So can we dive into some of the moments in life where possibly that term could have prefixed, well, pretty much everything? (laughs) Sure. I'd love that, yeah. First of all, I wanted to talk about how you felt you were too much for your dad because you sadly lost your dad a couple of years back. And this book is kind of like a love letter to your dad, isn't it, really? Well, I I was writing the book and then he died. And so I thought, well, I can't... I think you have to sort of be honest with your readers and offer them something and be vulnerable for them. Otherwise what's the point of a book, you know? Um, so uh, I did write about that experience of losing someone. And I think with my dad, as I say, he was a coach driver and um, and was from a working class background and grown up in Penge. So, so Penge, so for, for people that don't know what Penge is, describe Penge, Tom. Oh, yeah. He'd grown up in, he'd grown up in Penge, does sound a bit sort of like, what, he'd grown up in what? Um, Penge is an area of southeast London, um, which doesn't sound very... Doesn't the sound of the of the place name isn't very appealing in itself? Um, and um, at Penge, uh, it's sort of between Annerley, which also doesn't sound very nice, and um, Crystal Palace. Crystal Palace, yeah, exactly. But um, it's sort of now I think a bit more shishi, but back then it wasn't. And um, he grew up there, and he was a coach driver. And I, I mean, he, he would be like doing up our kitchen or something as when I was a kid, he'd be sort of redecorating. And I'd say to him like, dad, have you thought about putting in a breakfast nook? And my dad would say something like, have you thought about getting your own fucking house? So it was sort of, you know, kind of, he'd been blessed with a camp child. What can I say? Um, you were the chalk to his cheese, yeah. weren't you? In so many ways, but your love was strong for one another. I think, so. I think so, you know, and I think I was very lucky. I had very loving parents and, and I think they, but yet I think that there was a challenge that they had this kind of, as is often the case, your your offspring turn out to be totally different to what you expected and totally, they're not necessarily the same as you. And I was definitely an example of that and would kind of be very particular about things and very kind of worried about things all the time and very kind of, you know, like taking library books out about Noel Coward was kind of quite distant from my dad who'd sort of grown up playing football and and going to the pub and you know like it was sort of a different world but I was just sort of they'd been they got out of nowhere this kind of flamboyant son with a very clipped well-spoken accent they don't speak like you do they no they'd be like I don't know where we got him from yeah I don't know it must have been something in the gas and air because <laughs> what's your brother like he's yeah he's very he's very um normal really I suppose is the only way to describe him uh he's just a normal person and it <laughs> doesn't isn't somebody who buys um, Parisian urns online. He, he's, um, he works in construction. He's a tiler and, um, you know, just sort of gets on with his life. But, uh, um, yeah, so I think probably at school it was a bit like, oh, there's my brother. Yeah, but he's the one in the bow tie and the bowler hat. Um, <laughs> my brother just wanted to blend in with his mates. Yeah, I can imagine. But for your dad, did, your dad, did he, um, did, he ever, did you have a sense that he struggled with who you are? Were you too much for him? Because you don't write it like that. I think um, that well, I think that he was 
it, it was sometimes a surprise. I think if some, you know, the fact that I would be obsessed with like spending my birthday money on cutlery or um, I think he just sometimes was perplexed by it. Um, and I remember when he first took me to the pub as a sort of later teenager and he said, what do you want to drink? Expecting me to say like half a lager or something like, a, you know, like a, a, a teenager might. And I said a gin and tonic. He went, oh, no, you're too young for a gin and tonic. As though I'd sort of, ordered, as, as though I'd walked into the pub and ordered a like, pina colada with an umbrella in it. Like <laughs> gin and tonic was slightly too flamboyant for him. Um, but I think that it was that sort of thing. And, and, and then my first job was working at the golf club he was a member of. Um, and I was the, I was in charge of desserts on the Sunday lunch, um, uh, service. And I treated that dessert trolley like it was the trolley from Meet Me in St. Louis. You know, it was like, (laughs) (laughs) so kind of, (laughs) it was like, it was, it was very, I just sort of full of flamboyance. And I think that was a lot for the golf club, but they seem to like, they seem to sort of like it. What I've realized in my teenage years as well is, and my dad taught me this is if, if, the world takes you at your own valuation. So if you apologize for yourself, people will be like, oh, look at this person. They don't believe in themselves. I've got no connection with them. But if you go, look, I'm this big person. I'm this big personality. Then people will go, oh, yeah, I like him. I like, I, he's different. He's different, but I like him. I like him. So um, that's what I sort of learned from it all. But I think for dad, I think there were, there were times when it was perplexing and maybe that was the bit that was too much. But I, I really put it in the book because... Um, uh, at one point, I remember he was getting, he was giving me some breakfast. I was getting ready for school and he gave me breakfast. And he, we were talking about something. He went, well, you can never have too much love. You can never have too much love. You can never uh-huh. give too much love either. He said, you can never run out of love. It doesn't, um, it doesn't, it, you know, it's not like oil or, or something it runs out. It's, um, it's, 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 uh, you know, you can, it's infinite. You can, you, you can love radio and you can love television. You can love your mum and you can love your sister and you can love your neighbours. It doesn't matter. There's, there's plenty to go around. So you never felt that you were unloved or misunderstood. You were quite celebrated at home by the sounds of it. To an extent, I think, yes. I think sometimes, though, if I'd lay the table in a very elaborate manner, my dad would be like, what? where are we going to put everything? I was this. Why have we got... <laughs> Why have we got all these napkins? Yes. Where does that come from, that love of cutlery, Tom? Because it does feature quite a lot. (laughs) Well, do you know what? Like, that DNA journey, I don't know about... I don't know if any of your listeners can relate, but that DNA journey uncovered the fact that on my grandfather's side, um, like, about 200 years ago, uh, my family were all um, footmen in in a house in Ireland. They were all butlers and things. And I've always sort of had a feeling that I wanted to be a butler. Always liked going to it. Always like remains of the day and yeah. Downton Abbey, that sort of thing. So um, I don't know if it's genetic, actually. Passed down through the years. Table settings, yeah, yeah. It's in the family. Because you, you, yeah. I mean, like you spent your pocket money, as you say, not just on cutlery, but like, didn't you get like a set of fish knives or something? I mean, very specific yeah. cutlery. Well, I was always obsessed with. I, I would see things on television. I'd be like, well, what's that, and where does that go? Why have they laid the table like that? And um, and so I researched it by getting books out of the library because back then you couldn't just tap it into your phone what you wanted to know. You had to sort of go through loads and loads of books, and you might not still not might not find out about things. And then you just sort of have to keep keep um, reading, and maybe one day you'll find out. But um, uh, I I don't know why I was just fixated on this idea of like there's a specific type of cutlery which is different to all the other cutlery, like different to the normal cutlery we had, um, which is specific, specifically for things like the fish course of a formal meal and I don't know why I've just loved the idea of that so I've saved up my pocket money and when my mum worked in the army and navy 
which is a shop, not a branch of the military. Um, uh, they, I, I used her discount to purchase cutlery. Um, well, we talked about, about how your dad responded to you and your quirks. What about your mum? Well, I think she quite liked it. She quite liked the idea of um, of, um, of, 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 of of kind of having this kind of eccentric son that she could use conversationally. Like, oh yeah, go on, go and talk. Because I, as a, like from the age of about three, I would just start talking to old people, and um, I would just love love pensioners as well. We'd always like go wandering over and have a full conversation they'd be like we don't know where he's from and my mum would be like oh yeah yeah well you know him he's always like oh, we don't know where we got him from <laughs> and, and mum liked it really but then sometimes she would be if it was a bit too much of a fuss it was making a mess around the house she wouldn't like it but I was getting all the cutlery out oh you're not doing all that now are you you're not getting all that out now <laughs> then it was too much <laughs> <clears throat> then it was too much yeah you said um, at times you felt like it was too much to ask your straight friends to come to gay bars with you, which must have put a real barrier up in terms of um, opening up the social circles for you in which you felt you belonged. It took me a long time um, to have other queer friends, really, I think. Um, I did have moments when I did, but I think the, the, the thing is, I don't know if there are any queer people who relate to this um is that there aren't that there are, essentially there aren't that many of us i think there are more of us now more people are more sort of open and and talk about things but when i was growing up there weren't it, literally i did feel like the only gay in suburbia and um and and so growing up you sort of go you, i'd meet people and i'd do like youth theater things or um things like that and i'd be like oh i bet they're all everyone will be gay here and i'll finally be at home and no no one was gay and so <laughs> it took me a long time <laughs> Wherever the, they were, on the fringes of a great city, and you can't find another gay in your suburban village. Couldn't meet them, Kate. Couldn't meet them. Wow. Couldn't find them because it was before the internet as well. Really, when I yeah. came out, it was around, but it wasn't. You know, and and things like Grinder came along a bit later. But it was, uh, you, you know, Grinder was was quite a uh, was quite. I, I think it changed things for a lot of people because, and, and I think nowadays people don't realise how difficult it was to find other gays. <laughs> You know, like yeah. it was. So, 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 so anybody that doesn't know what Grinder is, um, it's it's Tinder for um, the LGBTQ yes. plus community, right? But um, I think yes, yeah, that's a good good way of describing it. Yeah. But I mean, that's probably a, you know, I mean, do you use it to form deep and meaningful relationships, or is it used as an opportunity? Yeah, I mean, is it, it depends on how people choose to use it. In much the same way as Tinder, actually, some people look for love, others look for something less than love. A brief form yeah, of just think quick and easy. Yeah. yeah. Just 20 minutes of well, fun. I think it's... <laughs> well, I think that's, that's the world over, isn't it? It's horses for courses. You pay your money, you take your choice. So, um... But I think because, of, because uh, it's associated with um, fast sex, if you like, um, people overlook the fact that actually it binds people together in a way that no other app or platform did at that time. It was really important to young men and women um, I, like yourself. I, thought, I think so. I just, because I would try and go to like, you know, you'd see in films, because that was the only reference point to know how, like how to go about meeting people. Because when I was growing up as a teenager, when all the straight people were like learning how to form relationships and date and get their heart broken or get rejected and then deal with that and then... Um, all that stuff. I had to be completely silent because it wasn't that it was. It wasn't that I didn't know any other gay people. It was just like you weren't you weren't allowed to talk about. It. Like the teachers couldn't talk about it with you. There was no education about um, being queer. And then 
and there was and 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 to talk about it was so shameful because there was so much homophobia. Everyone freely sort of talked about how they, it was, well, in my experience, just didn't didn't like gay people, didn't 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 you know didn't support gay people. It was really hateful, really, and so it just meant that you just well for me anyway, I just kept everything locked up and in a tight in a small little box inside and hoped that no one noticed. I think they probably did by the fact that I was wearing a top hat, but <laughs> nonetheless. It was a very, um, it was a very strange time. So coming from that and then being in my twenties and going, well, how do you do this? How do you meet people? I'm, I'm sort of away from school now. I can be my own person, but I had no tools really to meet people. I didn't know socially how to, in films and stuff, they, people seem to just go to a gay bar, wherever that was, yeah. and then suddenly meet someone and be in a relationship or something would happen. But my experience was, you know, you watch Queer as Folk. Um, it's about a, a guy who goes out in Manchester and immediately meets this very handsome guy and has this kind of whirlwind romance and then he meets all these other queer people through them. Um, my experience was I went to a gay bar on my own and stood in the corner with a drink and no one talked to me and I read s- some magazines that they had for free and then I went home. I mean, it was, it was oh, like God. I may as well have just sat on a bus. But it was, <laughs> I mean, it sounds very tragic. But I think I didn't know how, how would you go and talk to a stranger? Like, because... It was, I didn't have any confidence yeah. to do that. So but anyway, I'm sounding like I'm self-pitying really, but it was. Not at all. What you're I, doing I knew, is, I was aware of it. You're, 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 you're highlighting and mirroring what it was for, 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 for young queer people at that time. And to be sat around listening to people be, um, speak with sort of, you know, hateful tones about who you are must've been really difficult actually. Um, and you must've felt that you were too much and you just wanted to shrink into your top hat. Well, yes, I spoke like a little, like a rabbit, like a magician's rabbit. Um, the, um, yes, I, I think, yes, it was, it was like that. Um, and I think um, it's important to acknowledge, because a bit like we're saying about the pandemic, you know, when things move on, people go, oh, yeah, we're fine now. What's the problem? And you, yeah, that is brilliant that things have changed now. But then I think we still carry those, those feelings. They don't, well, it, they don't disappear. You've got scar tissue from it, right? Emotional or otherwise. Well, I suppose so. Yes, I suppose that's what yeah. people would call it now. Yeah. Um, but yes, that's it. yes, exactly. Well, I suppose so. And but I think it's it's just important to talk about it as well because if other people have had ex- similar experiences, I always think it's important to talk about it because we are discouraged from um, ex- you know being honest about our feelings and stuff. So I think um, it's good to have it out there. It doesn't. Yeah, you've got, I mean, you've got to give it to social media and, and the internet in so many ways. It cures so many of those ills, doesn't it? In as much as at least people can connect and find their tribe, whatever that is. Yes, I think whether it's cutlery or whether it's gays, I mean, it's, um, <laughs> it's there for you. So, yeah. Uh, and I sometimes say, you know, that um, a lot of the time I think the internet can be quite a uh, spiky place. Um, sure. and, and I sometimes say that, I do think the people who comment on social media are often the people who in the old days would have turned up at a public hanging. <laughs> um, uh, at the same time, there is there are lots of good people on there as well, as well as the sort of more um, aggressive, hateful people. So, um... yeah, But that's everywhere, isn't it? I mean, yeah, I mean, I think sometimes Twitter, for example, just feels like, you know, kicking out time after a buy one get one free <laughs> session at Weatherspoons, and everyone's having a fight in the car park, and they don't even know what they're fighting about. <laughs> they're just fighting. That that's Twitter for it me. It does have that. Yeah. yeah, it does have that. Yeah, it does have that. Uh, and not making sense exactly like that. That's does the that way have that... to make sense? It's just I'm just saying stuff, all right? I'm like okay, exactly, exactly bye. that. Like if ever, as a stand up, you'll often be in like gigs uh, or you know comedy clubs where you're sober because you're performing and. And there'll be 
people who've had a drink and they come up and they talk to you and they don't make any sense. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't mind having a drink, but so, you know, forget that when you are drunk, people don't make any sense at all. They just want, like you say, just stay, say stuff. And they'll be like, I just want to say, I liked your set. No, no, thank you very much. No, I'm not saying that. Just listen to me. And you're like, I am listening to you. <laughs> I just want to say, I liked your set. I'm like, well, thank you. No, don't just say thank you. Like, I don't know what you want. Just, just say nothing. Just let me speak at you. That's what they want. Yeah. One well, of my favourite ones yeah, is, yeah. is um, can I have a picture with you? I don't, I ain't got a clue who you are, but my missus thinks you're great. <laughs> like, like, so where would you That's like so a photo? And then they stand That's there so while like, you're awkwardly handling, like you know, the camera and everything. You stand there, and he goes, "I still, I still don't know who you are." Brilliant! I haven't got a clue who you it. are either. <laughs> That's so funny. I have exactly the same thing. <laughs> but um, it's and I'm generalising, but it is usually blokes who do that, as though they, in my experience, it's blokes who do people. that. <laughs> and drunk people. <laughs> blokes will be like, "Oh, my 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 mum loves you. My mum thinks you're great." And it's like. What's your mum's name? And they'll be like, uh, Bernard, you know, like, you know, it's sort of, <laughs> you know, like they'll be sort of, they, they won't, they, it will, I think they do know who we are. They just don't want to say, of course. Hello, I like you. Because it's sort of a weakness, I suppose. Um, yeah. I, think, um, I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's an odd one, isn't it? Because like, it would never occur to me to go and prod somebody and go, I haven't got a clue you are. <laughs> you know, just wouldn't do it. <laughs> Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This episode is sponsored by Sky and the release of their gripping new drama, True Detective Night Country, which, let me tell you, has fast become my new TV obsession. And it's come at just the right time. The nights are long, it's cold outside, and my social batteries desperately need a bit of a recharge. So, the return of one of the best and, dare I say, classiest dramas out there is like music to my ears. 
Now, you may have seen the first three seasons of True Detective. It's a brilliant American crime anthology and has previously starred uh, the likes of Matthew McConaughey, Woody Harrelson, Colin Farrell, Stephen Dorff. But this, the fourth instalment, is a whole new story. We find Oscar winner Jodie Foster, yeah, actual Jodie Foster, and boxing phenomenon turned acting superstar Kaylee Reese, who's brilliant. Uh, the pair of them are in Alaska. They're heading up an investigation into the disappearance of eight scientists who operate an Arctic research station, and they have inexplicably vanished without a trace. Oh, and there's a severed tongue lolling about on the floor. Now, this all takes place quite literally during the longest night of the year in Ennis, Alaska, where locals live in total darkness for 67 days. Can you imagine? During the frozen winter months, hence the title, True Detective, night country. Now to solve the case we have uh, grizzled lead detective uh, Liz Danvers played just note perfectly by Jodie and detective Evangeline Navarro played by Kaylee, and they are thrown together to find out what happened to these men as they dig into the extraordinary haunted truths that are buried underneath the ice. So is it any good? Is it any good? Does Dolly Parton sleep on her back? It's fantastic. It had me from the first 10 minutes. It's that good. It's one of those rare shows that stays with you as you wait for the next episode to drop, whilst all the while kind of playing along and trying to figure out where on earth the plot is going to go next. And let me tell you, I haven't got it right so far. In fact, this one is really hard to call because it becomes a bit kind of supernatural at times. So you really won't see what's coming. And it's not just me that thinks so. The show's received rave reviews across the board. And because this season brings a whole new cast and story, you don't need to have watched any of the previous seasons before you chuck on the popcorn, uh, get your feet up and tune in to Sky Atlantic. So just dive in and my DMs are open for any discussions on possible plot twists and your thoughts as to what on earth could possibly be going on. True Detective Night Country is available exclusively on Sky TV with new episodes dropping weekly on Sky Atlantic. You're in for a treat. What happened the last case you worked with tomorrow? That was good. Until it wasn't. Never too late. There was nothing we could do. Before we move off of the theme of too much, um, you do talk an awful lot about your your, your upbringing, your family, your, especially your dad, and having lost your dad. The one thing that you say is that it's almost too much to comprehend his loss. And I think so many people who have lost a loved one will really resonate that with that. How are you finding working your way through life with a big dad-shaped hole in it? Oh, um, it's it's funny you say that because it was two years just gone. And um, I think, you know, it it of course it does get easier. And I think for me, when it happened, it was, it was it's strange to say unexpected because he was 80 years old, but it was a heart attack and it was very quick. And um, I think that shock that you have if you lose someone like that, um, then... You, you that 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 stays with you just the dealing with the shock really and just kind of going okay um and it's been the longer thing has been sort of dealing with the emotion of it and i still like the other day i was changing phone contracts and um it all comes down to technology but i had i realized i had voicemails and i was worried i would lose them i'd not listened to them actually and I, I and i was sort of 
emailing them to myself. You can do that, it seems. Um, as I did, I obviously press play and it played. And I hadn't heard his voice since he died. I don't think I had. And that was very straight. And I got very emotional about that. And so you sort of think, well, it does abate. The, 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 the unbearable sadness does abate or you distract yourself from it, whatever. But then it does sort of flash back. And I think being in that state where sadness can knock you sideways at any point is a new way of living. Um, and so, but the, I don't, you know, you never get over it, I suppose, but you do. And, and, and people say like, but you find ways to cope. And I, I don't know if I've done that. <laughs> to be honest, you just, you just do, you just carry on and, and, and go, well, there we go. We did another thing or another day went by. And then, Do you think you, you know, subconsciously carved out moments for yourself where you can feel like you're with your dad? I know that you've become a very keen gardener. He loved his garden. Um, you've started to replicate some of the stuff that he did in some ways. Does that keep him? Yes, close? I think that does to an extent. Yeah, certainly in the first kind of six months or so, I felt that. Mm. Um, now I feel like... Um, if anything, I think I've probably sort of thrown myself into things in a way that's sort of, I've tried to distract myself from it. So I think that, um, I do even now have to make time to sort of, sort of have, have space and feel things because otherwise the world is designed again, with technology as well. So we've always got something to distract ourselves yeah. with. We've always got a social yeah, media. you got to sit with it sometimes, haven't you? Yeah. You just got to feel yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Just, yeah, just to feel things, which is again, sort of, I don't know what that means, but because um, people will be like, well, very, very nicely when dad died, people were like, be kind to yourself, be kind to yourself. And I'm like, well, what does that mean? I've got to, we've got to phone the coroner in a minute. We've got to organise a funeral. I don't know what sausage rolls, how many sausage rolls we need to order. You know, it's that sort of thing comes in. So I, the idea of be kind can sometimes feel like a bit of a... I think, though, it's when people are saying that to you, if they've got the experience of it themselves, they know that those first couple of months really are just adrenaline-filled. Yeah. Actually, yeah, grief, yeah. you're not allow. You don't allow yourself to actually live with what the reality of grief is for many months, and then it really hurts. And yeah. that's when everybody else has gone back to their mm. lives, and they're not checking in anymore. Yeah. And you feel yeah. alone with your grief. Yes, exactly. Um, yes, I suppose that's it, really. And and I think it is the sort of long term feeling that it in, in, it kind of sits with that comes to sit with you. It's that's the the, the thing and the. The sort of um, yeah, it's, um, it's it, it is unbearable, really. I suppose that's what it is. It's just unbearable. It is unbearable. But as we all, that's the much. human condition, isn't it? Yeah, it is too much. Mm. It's too much. Thank you too for much. bringing back the name of the book. Um, the um, but uh, <laughs> yes, I suppose that was the thing, really. It's too much. Yeah, it's too much to bear. So um, and it felt like the words for that book, Tom. Felt like well, you know, obviously you wrote it through two very different stages of your life. One with your dad in it, one without. It felt mm. almost like, and you tell me. If, if I've read this correctly, that those words just fell onto the page. They fell out of you. Um, yes, that's true, really. Yeah, I had some uh, some diary entries I sort of went back to explore because I wanted to go back into the past and sort of see those, look at myself in at the times of my life when I'd kind of gone away or gone travelling or gone to work abroad and tried to get away from my family, get away, you know, try and work out who I was in the world on my own. And um, I explored that, but essentially I was sort of um, uh, just sort of going through it live on the page. And I sort of found myself actually the, the, the bits that seemed to have resonated with people the most are the bits where I sort of, do, sort of just included some diary entries, really, that I was doing that, that, that week and night. 
they'll just feelings and just how incidental things will happen and someone will pop in to collect their keys that they that they'd lost that they've forgotten here or some you know something a delivery would come but at the same time you then sort of dealing with this huge kind of sort of situation but i i think that's I, I think it's symptomatic of the world really that we we don't get a chance to sit with our feelings no but when you write a book when you write a memoir, you're forced to go and revisit seismic moments in your life, difficult, uncomfortable moments in your life, right? I think that in itself mm-hmm. is, a, is a really good therapy. Um, I mean, even when you, you go to your first book um, and you talk about the shame that was attached to feeling like, you know, you didn't fit in. You were the square peg in the proverbial round hole at school. You were this flamboyant, young, gay man um, in a world full of people that just didn't get you. Um, and gosh, you know, that must be quite therapeutic to work through that. Also really helpful to leave for the next generation. Cause imagine if you'd had that book as a 14 year old boy. Yes, I suppose that would have been, um, helpful. Yes, I did feel that. And I did feel like actually as well, we don't always get space to quantify, uh, our experiences. So you go, do you know what I mean? We're all sort of just like, yes, let's get through it. Yeah. On to the next thing. Oh my God, I yeah. need some more milk. I need to, you know. I need an urn for the garden. <laughs> the, the urn is arriving today. Um, <laughs> that sort of thing. You know, the normal practical things that everyone deals with. And then, um, and then I was um, very aware that I got a chance to think about like things in my teenage years, like bizarre mm. things I would do and like kind of experiencing bullying and then my response to it rather than um, stand up to the bullies was I... Um, it wasn't a direct response, but there was a school cabaret and I decided to do um, uh, Judy Walters monologue uh, from Alan Bennett's Talking Heads, which <laughs> for no reason, I just felt I had to do it. Just felt drawn to it. Never had that sort of teenage kind of, you know, you're like, this is the thing I need to do. I'm upset. And I've always loved ever ever since. And I've, I've been obsessed with Alan Bennett and his writing. But it was peculiar for a suburban comprehensive school cabaret uh, night to have Thirteen um, year old come out dressed <laughs> as Julie Walters in the monologue "Her Big Chance." If any of your listeners know it, where um, without realizing um, the character has found herself in um, a porn film without without realizing. Um, so again, oh God, a very complex. <laughs> You're thirteen. It's Bromley. I'm about thirteen. It's Bromley. <laughs> your dad's just clocked off a shift as a coach driver, and here you are. <laughs> Here I was. I'd been lent some stiletto boots, which I'd never had any chance to walk in because I was too scared to um, to wear them anywhere else. So I just wore them on the stage. But um, it was it was eccentric, yes. And I think some of the parents were like, "Oh, well, that was interesting." But um, I, I I think they really wanted us just like a sort of uh, you know maybe a clarinet recital of sending the clowns <laughs> at best. But, you know, um, when you go back yeah. and rewrite those moments, they, you learn a lot from them, don't you? I, you know, mm. and they say, you know, now the the big thing this year is journaling uh, in terms of people, oh, mental yes. health professionals are recommending to everybody. If you do nothing else, if you don't go and see a therapist, if you do, if you don't ever dip your toe in some cold water, just journal, right? Just write stuff down because it's transformative. And mm. that's uh, an apple cider vinegar. That's right. an apple cider vinegar seems to be the big the, the two big the, things. The, the buzzwords of 24. <laughs> no, God forbid. <laughs> but also, I think we're programmed to expect that like, if you journal, right, so you spend, you know, 20, 30 minutes writing three pages and it's supposed to be pleasurable. 
a release, not necessarily, right? It's it's about dumping down your feelings. And sometimes they are awkward. You are uncomfortable. You should feel uncomfortable. I think we think that mental well-being and wellness is all about feeling good. And actually, I think sometimes it's just about feeling. That's very good. That's very good advice, Kate. Um, yes, because I think there's always... Um, that thing of like people suggest that the opposite of depression is happiness, whereas actually the opposite is, is usually action. And um, mm. and what was that? what was it? anxiety? The opposite of anxiety is often um, knowing that you have the tools to deal with any situation you're presented with. Like that's yeah. the opposite of anxiety. That's so this self belief. Yeah. <clears throat> belief yeah. that I can work this through. Yeah, that was but yeah you, suggested to me recently. We must and I thought stop that was, expecting to feel good about you know like you go oh but meditation. Well, I'm, oh, I'm, yeah. crap, I'm crap at meditating. I can't focus on anything. You know, all I can do is this, that, and that. Well, that's still meditating. You're still yeah. sat with those uncomfortable feelings. That in itself is tuning everything else out, right? That's so good. And every time I've spoken to anyone who's like a... Because I was a bit sceptical at first, like mindfulness and that. I just sort of thought it's just breathing and thinking about your legs. <laughs> and then <clears throat> I realised, when speaking to people, that they're all everyone's the same. Like I did, um, I went to a little retreat actually last week, okay? did and you? I did one of, one of the. Well, I did cold water immersion. I like that. Went swimming in a pond. It was um, two degrees. It was not. It was not. Um, do you know what? It, it's not nice to do in the moment, but you do not feel good afterwards, right? It's like everything, isn't it? After the event, it's something to be smug about. But in the moment, you'd do anything to get out of it. But, I think that's um, true of everything, I... with maybe the exception of sex. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> True. If you're not enjoying um, that in the moment, yeah. you're doing it with the wrong person. <laughs> True. Okay, I'll give you. I'll, I'll give you that. Um, I'm going to give the, you um, sex. Thanks. That's, <laughs> that's not what I meant. But the um, <laughs> the, <laughs> the um, but the cold water emotion was very good. And then the um, the I did a, the same person was doing like a sort of how to like being in a sauna. This group was in a sauna, and she was like doing thing with a towel. Have you ever had been in a sauna? No. It's very European. They whip a towel around and it really builds the heat up. So we're all sat there like sort of slightly hyperventilating. And she's like, just go on a journey. We're going to go on a walk down to the farm. Just imagine that walk. And I was like, all I could think of was like, I'm so hot. I'm so hot. How's this going to end? Oh, God. Um, And then afterwards, I was like, I don't think I did that right. I couldn't concentrate on that walk to the farm. And she's like, oh, no, no one can. Don't worry about it. So and you go, oh, no, the world is presented as everybody being so smug and in control. But in truth, we're all we're all just as much of a untidy mess yeah and also you know not everything's going to work for you but you might have found something on that retreat that you can bring home and put into your daily weekly life that's really going to help because you th- i think if you go in there thinking oh in this hour i'm going to you know i'm going to feel phenomenal at the end of it or you could just go for me you know i just go oh brilliant it's a f- it's an hour where nobody can call me and yeah the word that's it yeah <laughs> excellent i'm just gonna <laughs> lie down and anything yeah. beyond that is a bonus that's lovely, isn't it? Yeah. Well, yeah, because like I say, it's so, it's so easy just to fill our moments with like, I'll just look at the headlines on uh, the BBC website or I'll just, that's not, yeah. I'll just scroll on that for a couple of yeah. minutes and then you realize you're on there for hours and just going, oh, I'll just look at that shop I like. So I wonder if they've got any new stock in. I do need to buy a thing. I'm sure that would make me happy. Do you know what? In 20 years time, we'll all be going, do you remember how we used to scroll so much? It was like a, a, oh like my a God. smoking a crack pipe. It was so bad for I know. us. It was, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> but by then we'll all be so mindful. We'll be so, we'll all be constantly. So zen. 
We'll be so sad. We'll be constantly in an ice bath. We'll be just living in ice baths. <laughs> exactly. Um, I want to go uh, back in time with you now, Tom, if that's okay, for my next question for you um, and give you the opportunity to bring something old into the new. You have always been drawn to Victorian and Edwardian times, um, like phenomenally so. So mm. if you could steal some of the very best ways that the Edwardians and the Victorians lived and then insert them into our daily lives now, make them a staple in terms of how we live in 2024, mm. what would you bring back and why? I think it would be um, something like... Um, regular meal times and i know i talk about formality and i'm no, i'm talking about the upper classes when i talk about it i suppose more than the, the the working people but um in in those eras but um the idea of having breakfast lunch maybe a cup of tea or an afternoon tea slice of cake and a biscuit a slice of cake. yeah i don't think they were always having like the multi-tiered sort of fancy hotel experience oh, but, but i think maybe the a slice idea- of fruit loaf <laughs> Maybe saw. I had a dream about Soreen. Gosh, where did that come I from? love Soreen with loads of butter. That's what the dream was about. What's what a strange that? dream to have. <laughs> what that? Soreen. Why was I dreaming about Soreen? Funny. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> I love that you call it Soreen. I've always called it Soren. <laughs> oh no, I think you're right. I think it's European, no, I think isn't I'm it? Wrong. I think you're Doreen. right. This is much more uh, fancy. <laughs> it makes it sound like the, the name Doreen, um, yes, which is my nan's. My nan's mobile hairdresser. Yeah, used to come round. <laughs> <laughs> Do my nan's hair in the kitchen. Yeah. Um, but the, uh, but the, the idea of a slightly more paced life, I don't know if it was as uh, ideal as it seems, but just I think a, a slightly, slightly more pace. Oh, and actually talking about the loss of my dad, what I did not realise is that idea of Victorian mourning, I quite mm-hmm. liked actually because not to make everything about death here, but um, but even in the even in the fullness of life we live in the shadow of death. But the um, the uh, <laughs> anyway, enjoy your day, everyone. Thanks for listening. <laughs> the um, uh, they um, but they uh, they would have like a two year some or longer sometimes, but a quite prescriptive period of mourning, which I've heard people say, well, how ridiculous for um, an arbitrary amount of time on it. And I thought, well, no, because it gives you beats to go. Um, you know, if it was like the immediate aftermath, everything like the pictures would be draped in black and the mirrors would be covered and everyone would be wearing black and veils and very much in, in, in carrying things. That... There's a uniform to it, right? You understand that that person is, is yeah. living through a sadness. So and you, exactly. You, you, you temper your behaviour towards them accordingly. I, I sort of wanted to wear like, you know, like I think until like the footballers still do it like a black armband yeah. i sort of did want to carry that wear that i didn't but i sort of thought i wanted to wear that just so people on you know on a tube would go oh give them a break that's just grieving yeah do you want to sit down do you want to yeah you're right oh i've lost someone recently you know that sort of thing which i think is nice rather than the age we live in which i think is like oh no it's so big you know we're celebrating the life which is lovely in a in a funeral or a, you know a service at the end of a life to go oh yeah we're celebrating the life but at the same time i think that's quite difficult I, I find that quite difficult when people are like don't wear black they didn't like black wear wear bright colors and we're celebrating i'm like okay so now i've got to be happy and you know but i feel like, like about- begins at my own father's funeral yes suddenly no. i'm <laughs> yes <laughs> That's uh, right. Why do I look like a? Why am I dressed as a pantomime day? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah that's I, get it. I think there's something about that kind of like acknowledging. Because I think in other cultures, they grieve, 
in a, in a way that is far more um, helpful to the human psyche. You know, mm. it goes on for mm. days. They sit around, they talk, they share, they grieve, they wail. They don't hide their oh, emotions. Yes. There's no button up, mm. dip off a lip. You know, it's, you know, yeah. I think there is a lot to be said for that because you yeah. don't get over those losses in a day. There is an expectation that once the wake's done, it's like, right, off we go. Here we are then. You know, yeah. Yeah. reset. No, no. Yes, I think, yeah, having that space as well, just to, um, yeah, just to kind of allow to be sad or allowed to feel, like we say. I think that's something that they did quite well in the olden days. What about, what about the way that, we dress because clearly you're holding well, on to a lot of the formality of Edwardian and Victorian dressing. I don't imagine that you've got a Primark tracksuit in any of your uh, wardrobes. No, I have got, well, I did get um, a hoodie a little while ago. I don't mind telling you. And I quite <laughs> like it, but it still, it feels like um, even that I, I wear it as a, I like to wear it as a formal thing. Like to go, oh, I'm wearing my hoodie today. It's my hoodie uniform. It's my relaxing uniform. Um, but I do like, I do, yes, I suppose I do. I have talked about it before. I do like a bit of starch. I like a starch collar. I like, um, you know, some of the old fashioned tailoring was very becoming, very becoming on people. Mm. And, and complimentary, um, actually. You know, yes. as a, for a woman, I think terribly uncomfortable at times. I mean, I don't mind telling you, Tom, the first thing I do when I get home is take my bra off. You know, sure, and breathe. sure. Yeah, yeah sure. I can imagine bra, that should be very Happy days, yeah. Yes. Um, sure. So I don't know how much of those uh, bodices I could have, have, have dealt with, but yes. oh my God, they made you look good. They, that's the thing, isn't it? They did look good. And I think as well, like bustles and things like that. It's interesting yeah. that now people... I, I'm not an expert on this. Maybe you can advise me. But people have like butt lifts and things, don't they? Totally. Yes, they do. Yes, so they do. People, but when you think, is that sort of similar to when the Victorians used to wear a bustle yeah. at the back of their dress? Is that sort of, I don't but know. But the bustle was also there to accentuate the waist. So, you know, oh, to celebrate yes. all of those fabulous female curves. Ah, right. Yeah, there you go. See, yeah, right. But it's also, yeah, it's all I mean, I don't know if this stat still holds true today, but I worked on a show years ago. Uh, it was just a pilot, so it never made it to the screen, um, called From Waist to Waif. And it tells the story of how the British woman is seven inches bigger everywhere than she was during these oh. times of the Victorian oh. Edwardian era. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Probably because they didn't have anything to eat as well like we were sort of um, processed processed foods probably got a lot to answer for i would have i would have think? thought yeah because we all started to get bigger around the what it was it was the introduction of um household gadgets like the washing machine and the hoover so we stopped oh, working out as much because before that everything had to be done by hand so you would oh, go right. beat your rugs on the on the, remember you know you'd oh yes you see that yes rugs and your washing machine you'd do it you know there was no washing machine there was no spin dryer no. you had to do it all yeah. by hand oh, sweep the doorstep all that stuff so that then uh, that a long time well it's the industrial revolution really the uh, the household equipment the car and oh, processed yes. foods and and freezers you could freeze oh, stuff oh I see. Yeah. Oh, I see. Is that right? Oh, well, yeah. I should get out my carpet sweeper. Maybe I could lose a few pounds. Yeah. <laughs> Do you remember the carpet sweeper? My nan had one. Mm, you just roll yeah. it around. It didn't plug in or anything. My my nan got one. Uh, she My mum had a budgerigar, but she swapped it with her neighbour um, to get a carpet sweeper. So my mum came home one day and then <laughs> Billy the budgerigar. Gone. And the carpet sweeper. 
Yeah, it was yellow. It was a yellow carpet sweeper, actually. So that was. <laughs> I remember them so well. If you don't remember yeah. what they are, then congratulations, you're very young. Different times. Different, Different times. times. Third and final question, and uh, I, hopefully a quick one for you. You're about to head out on tour, and my goodness, you are going the length and breadth of the country. And I wondered, as you get older and more emboldened in your choices, what do... What does life on the road look like for you now? What are your requirements by way of a rider that maybe a younger, less refined comic would expect? Well, um, when I, this is sort of my only my second tour. Is it really? Is it really? Yes, it's Gosh. gone. Well, this is I'm going back on to the same tour. So it's um, yes, it's, it, we started in February last year and it continues till June this year. Which is a great privilege. And ironically, it's called completely, so it's kind of you know completely running. Completely, and, uh, probably completely will never end. <laughs> <laughs> yes, completely everywhere, um, yes. and um, I've, I love doing it. But I, I, I yes, it, there are, I have realised what I need, I suppose, a bit more, um, and it is largely things like um, some herbal teas, maybe, um, maybe maybe a little glass of prosecco for after the show, um, oh. and um, uh, and what else do I like? I, I mean, I try and be healthy, but I fail because I think when I'm on the road, so hard on the it's road. so it's so hard because you sort of go, oh, I fancy a treat. I'm a bit tired. Or come, let's mm-hmm. go and have a burger rather than, oh, let's have some melon slices. So, um, <laughs> I, a pot of mango, you say? No thanks. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, exactly. Healthy things like that, even though they're absolutely delicious. And when I do have them, I really like them. But um, and I'm I've, I've been told I've got to get my cholesterol down. But uh, mm-hmm. still, it's one of those things. I'm like tomorrow. That's a that's Manana. a gig for tomorrow, manana. But um, but uh, but yeah, those sorts of things. Whereas before, I probably I'm trying to be more mindful of what I'm eating. I suppose. Yeah. Sarah Millican said that she always bonded with you from the get go because whilst everybody else was kind of propping up the bar, um, and living a far more hedonistic existence on the road, you two would be googling which hotels had, you know, uh, a pillow menu. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yes. Or a decent carpet that wasn't sticky underfoot. Yes, I mean, Sarah and I, Sarah has always been a very good friend to me. And really, um, before I was touring, she took me as her support on uh, her tour, which was a really wonderful experience. She's good. She's good. Mm, very Sarah, generous isn't she? to she's me. She's good at elevating yeah, others. Yeah, she was very generous to me. Yeah. Um, but, and, we, and yes, that was very much the um, ethos was to, um, yeah, kind of, I don't know, not feel like you have to be in the bar and not feel like you have mm-hmm. to sort of be socialising. It's quite nice just to um, go to a hotel room and sleep. And, um, and, on a and nice yes, pillow. On a nice pillow. And some people do take their own pillow, which I've never quite stretched to because I always think it'd be quite cumbersome to travel with. But more and more I have got to thinking, actually, I might benefit from that just because as you get older, you know, you notice things. You notice. I like, I take a packet of coffee and um, a cafetiere. Because I can't oh, that's do nice. I can't do the uh, Nescafe sachet things first thing. I need something a bit more kind of rocket fuel esque. Oh, okay, and a cafeteria will give you that. Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, that's that's. Um... And some, you know, sometimes you get those machines, but they're always lukewarm. The coffee, and I, I can't do lukewarm coffee. I either. find that. I yeah. find some of those machines can be like that. Certainly. Yeah. So yeah, I know what you mean. Um, they're a bit all fur coat and no knickers. They look great, but they don't really deliver what you need. I know what you mean, Kate. I know exactly mm. what you're saying. They're a bit. Um, it's a lot of foam but i go i don't know if there's anything actually in this yes exactly. is there any where's, yes why am i not awake the, properly <laughs> whereas a cafetiere well but you have to be careful with a cafetiere you can't have it too late in the day you can't i would say don't have a cafetiere after 12 
Um, See, I can go to bed with a fresh coffee and sleep. That's well, I can with an, what I've, I can with certain coffees, Kate. But then the other day, I had an americano after dinner, and um, I went to sleep for a bit. Woke up at three, couldn't get back to sleep till nine a.m. Oh, and then you're ruined, so, aren't you? It's jet lag. It's like jet lag, yeah. Yeah. yeah, days days we were ruined after then. So, when you're looking for booking hotels, that becomes another obsession for the comic on the road, doesn't it? It's like, what's that hotel then? What's where is that? Has it got a gym? What are the things that you really look for? Um, pictures. If they put a picture up of a room of their room, going, this is one of our rooms, and it's got like fresh flowers and um, oh, flower yeah. and like petals on. No, I'm like no, because your room isn't that. You're, you've dressed up a room to take a photograph in it, but I know when I go there, it won't look like that. It will look, it, it will look really bare and it will look like you haven't got enough things in it and it will look like it hasn't been thought through. So for a photograph, you think you can smoke screen it by putting a big bunch of flowers on the bedside table <laughs> and, a, and, you know, like a wine cooler with champagne on the, yeah. on, on the side. And like, well, no, your room isn't going to be like that when I get there. It's going to ha- not have those things. So why are you hiding it? That's a trick I've noticed. So I'm quite discerning. I think whatever pictures they've chosen to put up on their website are the ones I um, judge them on. I judge their choices. I, it's the idea of compare and contrast. I'm a bit Martin Lewis about oh, yeah. this. I'll go oh. on TripAdvisor and look at yes. uh, other pictures, other people's pictures. And then you're like, oh, yes. no. Yeah. yeah, that's, yeah. When you can, that's when you can sniff out a rose petal bath from the bollocks. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and there is a lot of that, isn't there? Like a slightly badly designed bathroom. Too much space in a bathroom. I don't like that because... I, d- I don't know why. I just sort of feel like a bathroom. You don't like too much with... space in a bathroom. In a ho- in certain hotels, if there's too much space, I'm like, why? Why have you got so much space here? Why you haven't thought about it? Have you haven't planned the space out properly? And you know, when you stay in hotels a lot, you start to notice a lot of things, and you go, why is there no space? You've you've given me a, a trendy sink which looks like a bowl on a on a work surface. Okay, you've gone for the trendy option, but you haven't really considered what people want when they're when they're traveling, there's no space either side of the sink. So suddenly my wash bag is sort of balanced precariously on the system. Yeah, that really next... annoys me. And, I, and I'm like, no, I don't want my, I don't want to have to leave my toothbrush on the floor of this. Um, yeah, of this or near a toilet. You haven't... Yeah. I don't, yeah, exactly. I don't want, and I, I know that sounds, people are like, so grand. Um, but often there'll be no consideration of that. And I go, no, that's really important. Yeah. Um, but it's not important in the scheme of things. I know that too. But... Do you know my other bugbear now is I can't do, I think it's because of my failing eyesight. Um, there are certain chains of hotels that are just so dark. You can't see anything. <laughs> I can't put my makeup on at the best of times. I can't do it in the freaking dark. <laughs> do you know the ones I mean? I know exactly the ones you mean. Yeah. Um, yeah and... Um, Yes, they are very dark in those places, exactly. I wonder sometimes that some of those places doing them, making it dark so that you can't see where they haven't well, cleaned. This is exactly it, right? So when I was younger, I worked in nightclubs and I'd seen that I've seen those places with the big lights on, yeah? And once you've oh, seen everything God. with the big lights on, it makes oh. you want to vomit. So I oh, was saying, this place looks great because I can't see where I'm going. But if I put the big lights on, what's on that carpet? I always think about the carpets. And, and um, mould in the sh- in the shower. Oh, I can't do it. I can't, you know, when it's that, like, there must be a way you could There's do that. There's products to clear that. Yeah. There's products to clear that. Or just change the mastic. Change yeah. the mastic. There you Get go. someone in to do, the- <laughs> if I ran the world, Kate. Okay. I mean, so, we've covered all the main, all the big tell topics. Tell you what, with advice like that, Nick Knowles should start to shake in his caterpillar Oh, boots. my God. Can you imagine <laughs> if I did that show? I'd be so... I'd be terrible, wouldn't I? <laughs> You'd be great. Tom, thank you so much for your time. It's been an absolute treat to talk to you. Um, oh, thank you. 
Thank you. And I, I you know, wish you the very best. You don't need it because you're all selling like hotcakes. Uh, but uh, tickets are available now. Uh, people can also download your podcasts, uh, which you do with the lovely Susie Ruffles. And I really would recommend that you read or listen to Tom's two memoirs because they are, well, if I say so myself, rather splendid. Okay, thank you for a lovely chat. I've enjoyed it very much. What a lovely man. Do you know what? I'd never met Tom Allen before, but everyone that I asked um, about him in the biz, in the business, not one single person had anything other than just glowing praise for him and now you can see why so if you'd like to extend the hour you've just spent with him and spend an evening in tom's company what are you waiting for tickets for his tour completely are on sale now the tour's called completely by the way just in case you thought i was just you know waffling Speaking of which, for more chat with other great guests from the comedy world, we have episodes in our back catalogue with uh, the very funny Rob Brydon, Adam Hills, Daisy May Cooper's in there, Ellie Taylor, Sir Tony Robinson, Kerry Godleyman, Griffiths Jones, Al Murray, Lee Francis, Ed Gamble and James Acaster and so many more, all waiting for you to just hit the download button. I'll be back on Tuesday uh, with a little something from the cellar, a little midweek amuse-bouche, if you will. Until then, thanks so much for your company. White Wine Question Time is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.